Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. As you're having a seat today, if you're in 7th to 12th grade, uh, there's the Sunday show up that the exchange does, which is our student ministries. Do that once a month. Uh, pick a place. Everybody shows up there today. It's 1.30 p.m. at Gateway Ice Center. Uh, show up there. Bring 10 bucks if you've got it, and you can ice skate for an hour and a half. Parents, you can dump your kids off for them to ice skate, and you can do whatever you want at Clinton in the 99 for an hour and a half. Uh, but that's going on. Also, uh, what was talked about in news is next week up here, we're going to have a ton of kids who are going crazy, singing and dancing and all that stuff. There's going to be a rehearsal for that on, sun, on Saturday at 10 a.m. at main campus. Uh, so you can grab those flyers from the kids' registration table as you walk out today. Right now, we're continuing our week two of our Join the Story Christmas edition series. We're looking at wise men right now, and right now, we've got a video from our kids that are going to talk about the meaning of Christmas for them and weave in some things that we're going to talk about as soon as the video is over. Let's check it out. The meaning of Christmas to me is when friends and family gather around and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. What Christmas means to me is happiness, joy, and being thankful for the birth of Jesus. Christmas means to me about family, the food, the dessert. <laughs> it means when Jesus, it's when Jesus was born. The meaning of Christmas is to give to people who don't get anything and just to give back. And um, Christmas is mainly about um, the birth of Jesus that God gave to us. It means celebrating Jesus' birth and getting presents. Um, Jesus is born on Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is about giving to others and celebrating Jesus' birthday when it was known to come for thousands of years. To celebrate Jesus' birthday. <laughs> to me, Christmas is the celebration of Jesus being born. It means love, peace, joy, and family to me. To me, it means celebrating time with my family, and it's Jesus' birthday, and we open presents, and we have a lot of fun with my family. To me, Christmas means being able to be with friends and family and giving to others. It means the birth of baby Jesus. Christmas means to me um, about um, like Jesus' birthday, at celebrating him. It means joy, happiness, and love, and for Jesus' birthday, and for Jesus dying on the cross for all of us, and forgiving our sins. So what Christmas means to me is that it is about the season of giving, the season of joy, and also the season of when Jesus was born, and when the wise men gave gifts to him, and that's what Christmas means to me. 
All right, today we're continuing to look at Christmas, and what one of the kids said uh, that the birth of Jesus was known to come for thousands of years. Uh, the birth of Jesus was, was in God's plan from the very beginning. You look at the beginning of our Bibles, and there's a book called Genesis, which means the beginning. So, of course, you have to put that at the beginning. And, uh, and God created the world. He created two people and said, you're going to live here, and everything is going to be perfect as long as you don't do this one thing. And so, since they're human and they're like us, they do the thing they're not supposed to do. And what that did was it brought sin and difficulty and darkness and brokenness into the world. And what it also initiated, what it also began, which we're going to see how, how everything kind of spirals from this and God works it all into one perfect scenario, uh, is that it began God's persistent, God's pursuing work of his people. So Adam and Eve, our first parents, they, they sinned and God comes at them right away and provides for him and gives him clothes and, and says one day all of this is going to end. And after that, we continue to read our Bibles, and that idea of one day all of this is going to end is going to take the form of a person that God has a relationship with and an event that God orchestrates to show everyone that one day all of this is going to end. That person is an old man named Abraham. God shows up to him when he's 90 and says, one day between you and your wife, I'm going to birth a nation. And he's like, God, do you see my wrinkles? I am old, and my wife is also old. Like, he's not even being nice. He says, she is old. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand because I am God. And with you, I'm creating a covenant. I'm creating a relationship that will go forever. And through you, every nation on earth is going to be blessed. And so eventually you fast forward 400 years and that group of people uh, that God said through you, everything is going to be blessed, end up being slaves in Egypt. That God raises, that God uh, finds them and hears their cries when they're being oppressed by a dynamically driven uh, regime. And they had taken God's people and they had made them slaves. And they cry out and say, God, will you bring freedom? And so now this covenant relationship that God begins with his people, this backwards plan of bringing Christmas into the world leads to their radical freedom, that God takes them by the hand, walks them out of their slavery into a brand new land. And he says, here's where you're going to know me. Here's going to be the evidence of my relationship with you. You live in this land that's been given to you. This is a sign from me that we're reverse engineering Christmas. And this is going to be a picture of my perfect presence in your life forever. He brings them to the good life and then it starts to fade. They start to look at the kingdoms around them, the lands around them, and they say, those countries have a king. We want a king also that can rule over us because, God, you're up there, you're good and everything, but you're, you're way up there. And so God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you what you want, and he lets them choose a king. And just like us, they, they choose the person who looks the best on paper. It's a big man. It's a strong man. It's a totally corrupt man. And so after one generation, God says, let's stop that train. I'm going to put a new king in. And so God anoints his king, God puts his king in, in place, and it's a man named David, a person like us where he's got all of his faults, all of his flaws, faults, all of his failures and stuff, but in him, God looks at him and says, this is a person after my own heart. This man, even with his brokenness, even with his darkness, he still wants a relationship with me. And so God prospers this group of people that starts out with the old man and the old woman. He prospers them geographically, that their kingdom expands, that they go from being this nomadic tribe, that now they have a place, and now their kingdom is growing. And it's also growing spiritually. It's a whole country that's focused on following Jesus. That's no, following God, sorry. And one point, David looks at his palace where he gets to live, and he looks at the tent, which is where God lived, because God's spirit traveled with him. And he says, I want to build God a palace. I want to build God a temple. And God says, no, 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 you can't build my temple, but through you, I'm going to do something better. 
Through you, which is a descendant from that old man, old woman who God says they were going to have a baby, through you, one of your descendants will one day be in charge of the whole world forever. And that's how we get to Jesus. And so, so God gives them that plan, gives them that idea. And then once again, the people start to fade and fall away from God to the point where another country comes in and, and picks up God's people and takes them out of the land that was the symbol of God's provision, of the symbol of God's protection, the symbol of we're good with God. They t- pick them up and take them out of that. But what does God do? He does what he continues to do, what he does perfectly in the person of Jesus, what he does like in, in backgrounds and in whispers up to this point is he continues to talk to them. He continues to pursue them. To the point where he brings up the covenant again, that relationship that he had with the man at the very beginning. He says, not only is every nation going to be blessed through you, not only will one of David's descendants always sit on being in control of the whole world, but this new agreement, this new relationship that we have isn't going to be based on a tent where I live anymore because now I'm going to move inside of your life. I'm going to be God with you because I'm going to be the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And that's what sets the stage for Christmas. That's what sets the stage for God to invade the world, to do something new, to bring us into a closer relationship with him. And the first group of people that that are outside of that family that God begins to bring into a relationship with himself are the wise men. That's why we're looking at them today, because they're the first people that really break the mold of who God is reaching, who God is going after. Up until this point, it had been contained within the nation of Israel, but the wise men are totally different. So who were the wise men? We sing a song, We Three Kings. No, no, no. They're not kings. They're wizards. They're astrologers, people who study the stars. And right away, we see that God has a heart for them. If you're here today because somebody invited you or you saw the card that said free breakfast and you're like, I'm not good with God, but I'm good with free breakfast, uh, this is your Sunday because God runs after in a loving way. He runs too with open arms and affection and love towards people who are far from himself. The wise men were people from a different country who worshiped false gods, who had false wisdom. They were looking to the stars for their meaning. We look in the Bible and that says that that's sin. Uh, we look in our lives and we say that that's sin. But what God does is he invades the life of people who are far from him by getting into their world. And so right away, the wise men meet God in their own world. You know, religion tells all of us that if we do the right thing, if we live the right, right way, eventually we're going to become like, accepted by God. And what God says is right away, I'm going to flip all that on its head. I'm going to come into your world. I'm going to meet you where you are. And so he takes these group of people who worshiped the stars, who focused on the stars, and he brings them to himself. And let's check out the story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod, who was in charge of Jerusalem at that time, he was very deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and they asked, Where is the Messiah, the Savior, God's plan for bringing a relationship with God to inside of all of us? Where is he supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them uh, the time when when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. 
It's a great picture of the wise men meeting God in their own world. They're people who love to study the stars, but they, they take it a step too far. And they say, we're going to get our direction, our meaning, our worth, our wisdom from the stars. If the stars do one thing, then, then we're going to follow. And God says, okay, I've got an idea. I'm going to invade your life. I'm going to take what matters to you, and I'm going to use that a way of drawing you to me. And it's because God is crazy about people. He looks at you and me and we're not just kind of mistakes or people trying, running around and, and doing stuff the way that we should do it or the way that we shouldn't do it. God looks at us and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And so what he does is he leaves heaven and comes to live among us because the mission of us having a relation, relationship with God is so important that he's going to come himself. I think of the day that I proposed to Anna. I had a plan. We were going to drive up to the mountains. We were going to go on a little walk. I was going to get down on the knee, pull out the ring, all this stuff. There's no way that I could have sent somebody else, all right? Leadership life, it's all about delegation. There's no way that I could delegate that. I'm not going to send a friend of mine up to the mountains to say, hey, will you marry Ken? Because nobody should come back to Fresno after that. Like, like there's no need for that relationship to continue. If you're dating and you're thinking this might be the way that I propose, don't. Like, you have to be there. Will you marry me? Not will you marry that guy over there. Like, that, that's the phrase you have to use. Will you marry me? Signifying that you are there. What God does is he says, there's no way I'm leaving this up to a prophet. There's no way I'm leaving this up to an idea. There's no way I'm leaving this up to a book that somebody's going to write that's going to point everybody toward me. I am coming with skin on to be God among people, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. And so what he does is he shows that to the wise men right away. Is he saying, I'm going to use this star to push you to the fact that God has come for humanity. And what he does is he doesn't show up and say, okay, you need to change everything. He starts to work slowly. He works in their hearts for the things that they already care about, and then he draws them to himself because the story of Christmas is God meeting us in our own world. Secondly, the wise men meet God, who is the source behind the things that they worshiped. Like the wise men meet God, the source behind the things that they worshiped. These are people who love looking at stars and looking at the moon and figuring out how all the planets move and stuff. But they took it a step too far to worship those things instead of worshiping the person who created the stars. Like that's the way that God works a lot of time in the Bible. Is he says, you worship the stars? How about this? I'm going to show my control by taking a big star and moving it exactly where I want to because I'm the thing behind that. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named Jonah, and it's made, been made into a VeggieTales movie and stuff like that, and uh, a lot of Christians understand the story of Jonah because it's pretty unforgettable. What's the one, if you're a Bible scholar person here, what's the one unforgettable thing about the story of Jonah? It's a story about a? It's a fish, a whale. It's a big thing. So within the story of Jonah, God had this idea that he, there's a group of people in a city called Nineveh that he really wants to reach, and so he takes a fish and sends him to do some stuff that I'll explain in a little bit. And the whole reason was is because in Nineveh, they worshiped this fake god named Dagon. For us, that's just an easy name to say. But for them, we got, we got a picture of what Dagon actually looked like. Uh, it's already up there. Perfect. It's like a half man, half fish. So God gets this idea. There's a group of people I want to that I want to reach. They worship fish, man, like combined thing. I've got a great idea. So what God does through Jonah is he takes Jonah, who's running away from God, totally rebellious to God. He's the worst missionary on the planet leading up to the point where God speaks through him because all he does is say no to God. And he throws Jonah in the water, and what's going to swallow Jonah but a fish? 
And so God takes this fish with Jonah in its belly, swims him up to a land that worships this idea of a fish-God-man thing that comes out of the water and speaks to them. And what does God do? God takes the whale with the Jonah inside of him, takes him to the shore, and, Jonah, and the whale spits Jonah onto the seashore. And then he walks into the city and says, this is what God wants to say to you. Like This is how God works in our lives. He takes the things that we already care about and then begins to fill them with truth begins to point and, and say like Jonah is saying, the point of life isn't the man-fish thing. It's the God behind the man-fish thing. And that God can control, God can make a fish that's going to swallow a human who's going to bring you the good news about who God is. The wise men meet God, the source behind what they worship, because God takes the things that matter to them and rearranges them to pull them, to pull the people to God, to pull the wise men to God. I think our problem in life is that we focus too much on things that God has created instead of focusing and worshiping our creator, God. And then over the next few weeks, there's going to be tons of gifts that are given and gifts that are received. And if you stretch the timeline long enough, this is going to be really bad to work with me, everything that we give over the next few weeks is going to eventually, in 100 years from now or whatever, end up at the dump. Right? Everything. The clothes are going to wear out. The PS4 is going to be surpassed by the PS9 million in like 50 years. All this stuff. I remember when I was 14, the one game that I wanted, like top of my list, was for Super Nintendo. I wanted Madden 95. Right? That's what it used to look like. That's what real video game football players used to look like. Let's be honest, I look more like an NFL player than those things. But I got Madden 95, and that was before they had, like, the controllers that fit to your hands and stuff. So it's playing with through hand cramps. That's real playing through pain. And I got it, and, like, for a week, I just camped out on my parents' couch. I still lived with my parents. It's not like I was 40 and I was playing their video games and stuff. I was 15-year-old Ken, or 14-year-old Ken just playing that every single day. Like, I'd wake up early, play, take breaks for meals and stuff, and, and then go back to bed. Like, that was my day. It was Madden 95. And you know what I did the next year? I wanted Madden 96. Because 95 no longer cut it. What God is saying to the wise men is you focus on the stars and that's going to lead you to something that doesn't fulfill you. You focus on the person who created the stars and that's what's going to fulfill us. That's the gift that doesn't end up in the dump in 50 to 100 years. Or the next year for my story. He says it's bigger than this. It's bigger than the gifts. It's bigger than John Madden's swollen head. And he's drawing us to himself through that. He says, don't go for the creation, go for the creator. And so physically they go. Let's continue the story, verse 9. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. See, there's a change there. They go from worshipping the star to now worshipping Jesus. And then they opened their treasure chests, and then they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it was time to leave. They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I think it's, it's huge here. They meet Jesus. They come into the presence of the person behind the star. 
the creator of the stars, the creator of the world, the creator of that desire within them to know more. They're not worshiping knowledge. At this point, they move from worshiping knowledge, worshiping creation, to worshiping our creator God who put on skin to live with us and live like us. The wise men meet Jesus and it changes them. It changes them because they go home a different route. There's an immediate transfer of behavior, immediate life change in them because they met Jesus, because they met the thing behind the thing that they worshiped. And so everything changes in them. The point of Jesus from the very beginning was to come into the world to change the world. He did that in the biggest way for you and me by giving his life for our salvation to cover our sins on a cross. That's why Christians love crosses. And the cross is the completion of Easter. That Jesus didn't just come into the world to come into the world, but Jesus came into the world to one day leave the world after dying for our sins and rising again. The wise men meet God and God changes them. In the same way that God changed the wise men, God wants to change you and me. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that's us. Jesus came into the world and was greeted by the wise men, these people who are far from God, who are far from understanding things that God did. But they understood one thing, they understood the star. And God took that and God used that to begin a relationship with them. He, had the, he used the hunger that they had to lead them to Jesus. In the same way that God led the wise men to Jesus, God wants to lead you and me to Jesus. It might not take a star, but whatever it is in our lives that we surrender to God, he's gonna say, all right, I'll use that. I'll make you more like me this year. The reason that the cross is so significant for us as Christians is because it's the way we have a relationship with God. It's where God took the sin of all creation, me and you included, uh, and put it on the person of Jesus who came for the purpose of being the ransom for our sin. He didn't get backed into it. He didn't get tricked into it. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That was his plan from beginning to end. And so for us, we look at God, we look at the story of Christmas, and we see our own redemption. We see that plan that God began at the very beginning of time to continue to pursue his people, that one day evil will be crushed in our lives because when we become Christians, we ask for forgiveness of our sins, which means that God comes into our life, that God takes away our own stubborn, stone-filled heart, and he replaces it with his soft heart. That now we've got a new desire to do right things. We've got new power to carry out those right things because there's a new agreement between God and us ratified by the blood of Jesus on our behalf. That God looks at you and me today where we stand and he doesn't see that we're too stubborn. He doesn't see that we're too fearful. He doesn't see that we're too arrogant. He doesn't see that our past is just too much. Instead, he sees Jesus' perfect life spread over ours so that we can have a relationship with God. That's the good news about Christmas. As we join the story, we're joining in the place of the wise men, people who might have been far from God at one point, but God reached out and pulled them to himself, just like he's pulling you and me. And as we invite God in, as we say, okay, God, I'm worshiping you, I'm living for you, then God changes our lives. He changes the way we work. He changes the way we act and makes us more like him. That's what he wants to do in us this Christmas because he's a great God who loves us and wants to work in us. Let's stand and pray.